Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's time for the latest buzz on pets from around the corner, down the block, and across the world with award-winning journalist, author, speaker, educator, and host, Arden Moore. Arden has twice been named by Oprah Winfrey as one of her top three pet hosts. And just this past year, the Cat Writers Association awarded Arden the coveted President's Award, given exclusively to the best of the best. Arden is driven to live her motto, bringing out the best in pets and their people. So snug up with your favorite fur baby because it's time for another episode of Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. And we'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Tevra Pet, for a happier and healthier pet. Online at tevrapet.com. That's T-E-V-R-A pet.com. And Furniture Cat Furniture. Quality cat furniture online at furniture.com. That's P U R R N I T U R E.com. Pause up, pet pals. Welcome to Arden Moore's Four Legged Life Show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Now, this is a first for our show. We're going to spotlight rats. <laughs> Not just your everyday rat. We're talking about rats that drive cars. What? And do much more. I bet you are now as curious as hmm, maybe a cat to find out. Here to explain some very surprising qualities about rats is our special guest, Dr. Kelly Lambert, who is the professor of behavioral neuroscience at the University of Richmond. She spends her days investigating rodents, raccoons, and non-human primates. My, what a, what a great gig you got. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lambert. Great to be here, Arden. <laughs> hey, everybody. I uh, first discovered Dr. Lambert and her work. I was watching a Netflix special. It was called The Hidden Lives of Pets. Check it out. On my screen popped up rats behind steering wheels. And Dr. Lambert, my big ginger cat, Casey, all went head up and went, what? <laughs> so you even got my cat to watch your show. Well, they, they want their little cars, too. So. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and we have a lot to cover because you're brilliant. You're a brainiac. I'm not as smart as the rats. Yeah, I can only aspire to be as smart and adaptive as they are. So, Yeah, that's the key word. And I think as we plunge into all this today, people need to know they've been on this planet a long, long time. And it's because of the A letter, adaptability, right? Mm -hmm. So can you explain a little bit? Give us a little uh, inside peek at the adaptability factor. Right. So rats uh, in this country, they kind of joined uh, the the folks who came over uh, on the boats there, they seem to yeah. like their commensal species, which means that they eat what we eat from the table. So they like to follow humans 
And so oh. um, we talk about opportunistic species who are, the key is being flexible. Uh, so they can eat different types of food, uh, whatever's in the dumpsters, uh, whatever <laughs> we eat, they're eating. Um, they're very adaptable as far as climate goes. Um, really? And uh, because they, they live you know, all over, especially the, the Rattus, the Norway rat, which isn't really from Norway, but Rattus norvigicus, uh, they're all over the place. Um, so they're very adaptable, very flexible. So being able to, you know, we live in a changing world. So yes. being able to, you know, to learn to eat a new food or adapt to a new terrain, like human, humans have explored and conquered, taken over almost all of the planet. Uh, most of it. So we were able to go into different climates and learn new behaviors and new resources and such. So uh, rats and those raccoons are opportunistic. Uh, there are several, you know, really opportunistic animals. And I, to make a contrast with my students, I compare to some animals that aren't flexible and are very, are, and are endangered, like the koala, uh, it's such a cute oh. animal. But when yeah. I was at a conference, they have that going for them. Uh, when I was yeah. at a conference um, right before the pandemic in Australia, I was really fascinated by the koalas. And but just to learn that they're they're trying to, as you know, humans do, we we demolish, <laughs> damage environments that animals love and need. And so they have tried to relocate the koalas to new safe environments that have you know the food, the eucalyptus, and such. And they just can't stay there. They climb down the trees and they just start walking as if they're walking Aww. home. And they get hit by cars and killed by other animals. And they just... And they also have a very limited diet. I mean, you were talking about how rats can pick anything out of the trash, right. but the koala has such a... It's just this eucalyptus, which is really poison. <laughs> so all oh, of their... Right. See, brains take a lot of energy. Our brains yes. are about 2% of our body, but they require 20% of the fuel that we consume. So we need to be able to be smart about eating and metabolic, all this, to be able to maintain these really, uh, you know, brains with all the bells and whistles. Well, the koala, because it eats this eucalyptus, which is pretty much poison, and it's smart in the sense that nobody else wants it. <laughs> so they, right. got, you know, they've got yeah. this. But a lot of their energy goes into digesting this. So it doesn't leave a lot for their brain. I grew up in Alabama. So there's, there, there's no koala Mensa group that you know of? No, I grew up in Alabama. So after looking at their actual brains, which hasn't been a lot done, they look deflated. They don't even take Aww. up the whole cranial cavity. So in Alabama, we would say, bless their hearts. <laughs> Just, uh, but they, without that ability to adapt with you know, eating new food and varied food substances and learning to live in a new habitat and maybe acquire new behaviors that are necessary. As the world changes, it leaves you behind. Uh, so rats are not in that category. Um, no, I was wondering, I want to ask you, can adapt. <laughs> rats are very adaptable, but there seems to be a bigger survivor. And I wanted to know, I mean, cockroaches. Cockroaches have been around before rats, I believe. And how and ticks, they they live, they seem to outsmart us humans. And um, I mean, 
I would say they're pretty adaptable. Would you agree? Yeah, they they are adaptable as well. I kind of focus more on the mammalian brains, um, but but yes, what does that mean? Medallion brains. Tell us in English. Pardon. What does medallion brains brains mean? Oh, I, I would say I'm mis misspeaking. Mammalian brains. So mammalian. the mammals. Okay, so the mammals. Um, mammals that. Um, <laughs> so what they share, and this this kind of gives a shout out to um, maternal <laughs> behavior and the importance of that. So when animals evolved so that they are um, you know, the mammary glands and that they're uh, giving birth to animals that they are continuing to nurture versus yep. dropping eggs like the turtles and, and such. <laughs> okay. And kind of I like your gig better. Drive yeah, through yeah. parenting. Um, so <laughs> this um, their name from the, the the mammal name really comes from this maternal um, nurturing uh, that is required for these fancy brains. So mammals, you know, we're mammals, primates, the rats are mammals and everything. A lot of animals in between, if they're giving birth uh, to these live animals that they're going to nurse and have lactation and that parental experience is important for the mammalian, the mammal brain to develop. Well, I've just been schooled in a good way from <laughs> Dr. Kelly Lambert. And before we uh, take a quick break, we got a, uh, you do have a nice purring mammal in your house too. What is, what is your mammal called? I have two mammals. Oh, uh, well, okay. three if I include my husband. But <laughs> oh, my God. So Nico is my 20 pound uh, Russian blue Maine Coon cat. Wow. And he's wow. named after Nico Tenbergen, who won the Nobel Prize for studying behavior uh, in, in animals. And, uh, and he is, Nico is a delight. We got him right at the beginning of the pandemic, not knowing that the pandemic was really happening. And he, right. he is very affectionate and very smart and we adore him. Uh, and then we have a little uh, Havanese puppy dog oh. who is not as big as our cat. So our cat is bigger <laughs> than our dog. <laughs> I have a feeling that our guest, Dr. Kelly Lambert, also probably dug the uh, Big Bang Theory show. But we're going to find out more yeah. about her after we take this break. So sit and stay. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Four-Legged Life Show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I love our special guest. She keeps surprising me with mammal curveballs. She <laughs> is uh, shares her home in Virginia with her hubby and a cool cat and a very sweet dog. And she spends her days uh, learning as much as she can about rats, raccoons, and other uh, mammals. Rats. I mean, if you could be the PR agency for rats, what would be a few things you could share with us that make us give them a little more cred, a little more respect? Oh, there's so much. They always outsmart me. But just just to <laughs> just to introduce you to the world of rats, they're great moms. I mentioned that maternal behavior is so important yeah. for the development of mammalian brains. So they give birth, uh, you know, between maybe eight and 14. We call them pups, the little rat babies. They're also been referred to as pinkies They uh, because they look <laughs> like little pink uh, sausages or something. They don't have oh, any hair. Yeah. yeah, about the size of the pinky, too. The pink skin. 
Um, so they're totally, you know, undeveloped uh, at that. Well, not totally, but they certainly need right. maternal care. And the mom, the rat moms, um, it's interesting to look at families structure in different mammals. So the rats are definitely a single mom model. So the dad oh. is kind of a sperm donor and then goes on is not. See ya later. <laughs> yeah. See you later, alligator. And uh, wow. so this mom is in the wild. We take better care in the in the, yeah. the lab, but in the wild is responsible for she has these, you know, 10 or so very vulnerable pups. So she has yeah. to stay on that nest, lactate, you know, feed another 12 individuals plus herself, plus get off the nest. And so we've done some work showing that when they give birth, they, um, you know, I don't know if they're more intelligent, but they show more efficient problem solving and search strategies to get food. Really? Yeah. Uh, because they need to get out there, get that food, get back to the nest and regulate their emotions so they're not expending all their energy and stressing out. Uh, so they give birth and raise these these animals, they're reproductive machines. I mean, some people don't. Like well, I was going to ask you, I know um, cats, the uh, gestation period is about 60 some days. What is it for rats and how often can a single mom rat get knocked up? Yeah, yeah. So uh, their gestational period is 21 days. Oh. Uh, and so in the wild, it's been reported that they can um, get pregnant the day after they deliver. Oh, no. <laughs> so that when they Stay wean their those boys, <laughs> <laughs> so that when they wean their pups 21 days later and they leave the nest, they are able to deliver another, you know, 10 or 14 or pups. So and then and then they're reproductively mature at about 70 days of age. So. You can see oh exponentially gosh. how they can reproduce and take over the world, so to speak. This is why. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated by this. So, I mean, Mother's Day is every day for a rat, right? <laughs> they probably, you know, are either deliver they're pregnant or, uh, you know, are lactating or somewhere in between. Um, family planning. Well, they they maximize their <laughs> their families, uh, but they also have so that's parental behavior, but they're very okay. have a wonderful sense of smell. So when you look at their oh. brain, it's like the top, the first third of their brain is devoted to smell. So they can smell things that we can't smell. So we're can not giving them an example. I mean, I tell people in my pet first aid classes that I teach, you can drop a Cheeto in a swimming pool and your dog, your cat will smell it. How, how does the rat stack up? Well, that's 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 a great point because dogs are very olfactory dependent as well. So I don't I don't have a direct comparison about like a number of receptors or such, but one wonderful story to to kind of explain the potential of their olfactory ability is there's um, a group of rats in, in Africa uh, called the African pouch rat. And if you look up hero rats, you may have seen this in the news. Yeah. So an individual trained, they, they're very large rats and they live to be a little bit longer. Rats in my lab, well, rats that we have around here live to be about two to three years old, but in the wild, oh. it's up in the wild, in the wild, they probably don't live you know, six, past six months or a year. But oh. the, in Africa, these African pouch rats have been trained to smell TNT and landmines so that um, in Mozambique, oh, yeah. where there were so many landmines that were made, you know, just yep. hurting and injuring little kids who wanted to go out and play in the fields. It was the rats that were trained to smell it. 
uh, and that they would they would kind of suit up. And then when they smelled it, they would gently start to dig. And then the suited humans, you know, would come in and remove that uh, landmine. So they saved humans wow. by being able to smell that under the ground. But the, uh, but the training that's involved, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of principles and training, you know, counter conditioning, all that. Yeah, I'm yeah. assuming for all the people out there that are maybe dog or cat trainers or behaviorists, there's some similar um, right. approaches Absolutely. to training, right? Classical conditioning, operant conditioning. They were using clicker training that I'm sure you're you, you use, yeah. familiar with. Um, so they would... Um, take up to a year or two years training. Uh, so they were kind of like James Bond rats. Uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's interesting. You may say, why wouldn't they use the dogs to sniff this? Which they could, but they couldn't Way because more. the dogs would be too heavy and they would trip the landmine. So the Even the, the rats, chihuahuas would get in trouble. Yeah. They'd be at risk. <laughs> yeah. So the rats are, were light enough, even though they were larger rats, so that the rats would be safe and the humans. So there are all kinds of potential without even smelling um, or tuberculosis and certain uh, chemicals that would be associated with illness, uh, they could do it faster than humans in a lab doing their assays. Uh, so keen sense of smell, similar to dogs, but in a smaller package. Uh, yeah. They can swim for long periods of time. Uh, they don't love oh. it. Um, they, Well, I say they don't love it. I'm not sure exactly what, what rats love, but they... Their stress hormones spike a little bit. So it's a workout yeah. for them, but they can, you know, under and um, sewage and, and, and they've been known to, to swim to an island, you know, for love or whatever. Uh, so they can um, swim into like toilets. They can go up the plumbing. There's videos. Oh, of that. Nice. Now I'm and, really going to check when I have to go do. do no, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, that. I just killed that experience. I just ruined that experience. No, no, I like really? that. Safety first, safety <laughs> yeah. first. Yeah. So if you see a little nose poking up, they, and I mean, that's pretty bold move. They're going where, you know, they haven't been before <laughs> and they can find little crooks in the plumbing and kind of take a breath and then keep, uh, swim, wow. They can swim for hours if necessary. So they're um, so they're so very move over, Michael Phelps. You're, yeah, you're nothing compared yeah. to a rat. Um, oh my god! Uh, and Eva, this is the most uh, maybe. One okay, of the we got about uh, thirty seconds before our next break. So okay. go ahead. If there's a tiny little hole, they can yeah. collapse. If their head can fit in it, their body can because they can collapse their rib cage to become thinner. Oh. And they can fit through those holes. So they really cats are. have a flexible spine, but they're even more. Yeah. Yeah. Contorted, yeah. Right. So James Bond rats, you know, here we go. <laughs> I see a T-shirt coming. James <laughs> Bond rats. Um, I bet all of you tuning in right now are like, I'm digging this. I am. I am being fascinated and schooled on rats by probably one of the premier experts in the in the world. And she is Dr. Kelly Lambert. She's at the University of Richmond. We're going to dive in a little bit more after we take this break. Um, so swim, 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 you little rats. We'll be right back. This is Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. And now you never have to miss not even one second of any episode. Why? We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. <laughs> Bringing out the best in pets and their people, this is Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life.
Welcome back to the Four-Legged Life Show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I'm having one of the coolest guests I've ever had, and she is Dr. Kelly Lambert. She is at the University of Richmond. Uh, she, <laughs> Her fancy title is the Professor of Behavioral Neuroscience, kellylambertlab.com. I want to backtrack in time. You said you grew up in Alabama. Did you always have a kindred spirit with rats or all mammals or what was what was Kelly as a kid? Yeah, Kelly as a kid was pretty much all animals. So I was the kid going into the woods to see if I could get little bird eggs and incubate them under my pillow. <laughs> that didn't go very well. I grew up along the Gulf of Mexico. I bring crabs from the beach to see if they could adapt to my grassy yard. That didn't go well either. Now I look at how animals adapt to environments. So at, at four years of age, I was starting these experiments pretty about amazing. how some adapt and some don't. Are you from a family of, um, of professors or what were your no, parents? First generation college student. Really? Absolutely. So I, my education was in the woods and with animals, loved cats and dogs, probably more of a cat person growing up, but I love them both now. Mm-hmm. I remember catching a little mouse at my grandmother's and um, just thinking it was so cute. And then I put it in a, of course, an album, a mason, big mason jar, and I tried to <laughs> defeat it. My grandmother's yummy homemade biscuits, and I was so surprised that it didn't eat those. But now I know that they're very uh, bait shy. It's hard to to trap rodents because they're very smart about this food is new. Something's up. Whereas something Are looks yummy kidding? to me, I gobble it up. I don't say, "Why is this in this position here?" And this is due. So some some research suggests that. They'll go buy a new food source for weeks before they feel safe about eating it. But but anyway, when I was a kid in Alabama, I just adored I this. animals. And one of my I remember when I was uh, was young, my mother would have the Johnny Carson show and Joan Embry. I don't know if you remember her, but she was you know kind of one of these zoo animal correspondents. And I would if I knew she was going to be on, I would sneak out the hallway and watch and she'd bring, you know, these animals. And I just thought that was so fascinating. So I've always been a student of animals. <laughs> I love it. So we have teased uh, our faithful pet pals at the beginning to talk about rats who drive cars. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of saying move over Tesla self-driving. <laughs> uh, our special guest has trained them to to drive and steer and all that. And that's what was part of the episode segment on the hidden lives of pets on, on Netflix. So talk a, a little bit about what made you come up with this idea and, and be our, our, our eyes, if you will. What were you able to accomplish with your very talented lab, lab rat team? <laughs> right. So I came here to the University of Richmond about six years ago after long career at Randolph-Macon College. And one of the colleague, my colleagues here in the psychology department, she had seen some video of gold or fish, goldfish in a museum kind of exhibit. And if, yeah. they, and if they would swim in a certain area of their aquarium or tank, it would move that aquarium in that direction. And they seemed to kind of be oh. getting that. And yeah. this colleague, uh, Beth Crawford, she was a co- she's a cognitive scientist. So she's interested in all that. And she said, Kelly, um, do you think you could teach a rat to drive a car? Because I'm the only person in the department who works with rats. And I, you know, I'm this <laughs> natural behavior, all this. And I thought, well, why in the world would anyone want to do that? And I kind of laughed that off. And then I thought, 
you know, I'm new. I need, maybe I need to be a team player. Maybe I shouldn't laugh off the ideas of my colleagues. And then I've said, like I said, in that interview, you know, once you start thinking about designing a car or a vehicle, we call them road and operated vehicles or ROVs. uh, (laughs) Wait a minute. We got to say that again. ROV equals what? Rodent-operated vehicles. Um, of course, it does. Start thinking about what that design would look like and how the animals would interact with it. You can't stop. They had just so I said, "Okay, Beth, let's just have coffee and start thinking about this." So we started off with a cereal container, plastic container, and she did some wiring, some programming. It, it was such a wonderful experience. I have undergraduate students here, so together we we That's kind of awesome. learned. You know what? What is a rat's natural behavior? What would it engage to drive the car? What would it feel comfortable in? Our rats love fruit. So stick shift, automatic, you know. We, we had, we played around <laughs> with that. It was too wobbly. We've done like not human factors, but rat factors engineering where do they want to press down or, oh, or away yeah. from them or to them or the wobbly kind of gear shift. So we did all of that. Um, wow. and, and made a lot of mistakes, but it was a wonderful learning experience. I thought because they're very olfactory dependent that they would use their nose to orient and to engage like the activating, but they wouldn't do, I mean, in retrospect, their, their nose is very sensitive, so they don't want to just put it on a wire, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. We accidentally, um, we had bars that I was hoping they would engage with their, with their uh, nose area. And, um, one day they something uh, we had a fruit loop or something out and they grabbed the bar to try to reach out and when they grabbed the bar it would engage not okay we we i think we can teach them to grab so they taught us and we were teaching them it's really wonderful when you're learning from each other and another species like a rat and you're you have to be humble enough to know that they can school you in several things so then we knew that they could rats they naturally kind of rear up on their hind legs and they could grab this um, and so it took a lot of patience and we use something called shaping where we um, yes. reinforce small little increments. First, let's get into this car and, and you get your reward. And then you walk toward the steering area and you get well, your reward. Yeah, sl- slow and steady. I, I mean, um, you see these things at, uh, um, you know, where cats, dogs and other things perform on stage at uh uh, these not, not Disney, but those places. And I, I know there's a concept also called back chaining where you go from the back and reverse and then they want to go to do that. I don't know if you use back chaining at all. We've we've done a lot of variations, especially once we taught them to forward drive, then we would position the car <laughs> where they couldn't forward drive, drive forward to get it and they would require turning. Uh, so oh, they do the gosh. goal and then they kind of have to backtrack there. And interestingly, I mean, it takes a long time to train them to the concept of steering. Um, but once they learn the left steer, like turning left, they automatically, they automatically knew the right because they, they learned this concept of, of steering in that direction. So when you would start them anywhere in this big driving arena, and it wasn't just that they were memorizing do this, do this, do this. They had to orient themselves and they are not highly visual. They have great smell, but they can see oh. they're nocturnal It's like animals. Mr. Magoo behind the wheel, right? Yeah, they're nocturnal animals. So, you know, they're, they don't have clear, um, they certainly don't have Did color vision to the extent that we have. 
and they don't have clear vision, but they could see we had the fruit loop tree, you know, that was like the uh, drive in they were going toward. And so they would have to turn themselves around and, and, you know, navigate uh, to that. Um, that's, so, that's respect. I'm giving rats some respect. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. kind of puts you on the map. I know you've published um studies you've written books you know you actually uh got to uh uh give a tedx talk in bermuda that's not bad but this this rat thing i tell me um it says toward my notes you've been featured in more than 1500 news outlets and on tv and it's finally time you got on to the four-legged live show right right but at least think about my rats have been featured done? <laughs> my name is usually thrown in there, but it's more about the rats. That, that's an interesting question because you didn't mention that. You know, I'm a, I'd like to think a serious neuroscientist. Yes. No, you uh, are. Looking at how you, environments. You were the Virginia professor of the year in 2008. <laughs> For some Kudos. reason. But, um, but, you know, very interested in how behavior or environments sculpt our brains and how we navigate emotional you know, stress and chronic stress and models for psychiatric illness. So very passionate about that. So, well, I, we're going to find out. We, we got to take a quick break, okay. but we're going to find out more about her research. And I do want you all to go, please, please go to kellylambertlab.com. I keep saying that because it's, you're going to see a lot of cool things, including um, a rat. Is it called rat city video or what's it called? Yeah. That's the Canadian yeah. Broadcasting Company just did that, Rat City. <laughs> All right. So everybody uh, sit, just show some respect to rats, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the uh, Four-Legged Life Show. We are diving into the world of rats with probably one of the most uh, honored professors of research in neuroscience on this topic. I'm just pumping you up, girl, uh, Dr. Kelly Lambert. It's a cool topic because you've talked about at the very beginning how adaptable rats are. They surprise us, but they have, you talked about the brain being 2% on average, we we try to we expend about twenty percent of our energy in our in our the brain yeah. skull. How's that compare with rats? Are they pretty good about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean their their brains are proportionately the same, similar. They do not have all the bells and whistles that we have, so it's even more. Okay. When, I, when I say bells and whistles, the density of their neurons is not similar to the density of our neurons. Obviously, their brains are very small. The outside area of their brain, of our brains, has all these wiggles, squiggles, wiggles, because uh, um, our cortex is smushed in to give us more. Uh, space. I love the way you scientifically describe this. <laughs> yeah, I'm squished trying to in. Squished in technical term. You're my kind uh, of scientist. You want to technical <laughs> gyrification is what you know we would say, but but the the rat's brain, yeah, it's just as smooth as a baby's bottom. So they don't have a lot of brain real estate, but it amazes me how much they can do with what they have. So they are expending things very wisely. I was mentioning before that, you know, with all my serious, more serious science, that right. this is what took off. And I've really embraced a couple of things about this, and we're going to continue our driving program. <laughs> we start off with uh, uh, Luigi, <laughs> kind of, but we, we still have um, 
Mario and Luigi, and now we've we've still have these uh-huh. animals. But it's taught me several different things. Um, one, okay. how, how important training is. It, I, I want to make the point that we're not doing this to be a circus trick or, you know. That, oh, I don't think so. You're, you're yeah. finding out their adaptability. Yeah, I'm, and how sensitive, I'm sensitive really about that. It's, it's more than that. But we've learned that just the training itself, when we compare to other animals that didn't go through the training, they, it helps their stress hormones uh, so that they have, we have a, like a buffer hormone called DHEA yeah. and, and it kind of buffers the toxicity of our stress hormone, which in us is cortisol. So just going through training and learning and the mastery. And I don't know if we can talk about self-agency with rats, but why not? You know, a sense of control. That- I think on a broader scale, what you're also emphasizing is there was a lot of people that adopted cats and dogs during COVID, you, you included. Mm-hmm. And there's the E word, the importance of mental and physical enrichment. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of a parallel. The the, right. the training that you're doing for rats is also applying to why all of us that are lucky to have a dog or cat in our life need to invest in their lives to enrich them, correct? Right. And and with the stress hormones, it's suggesting that their well-being and their health will be better. And we addressed exactly the enriched environment. So we have some rats that live in Disneyland. Uh, there's a larger <laughs> cage. They have toys to play with. We change them up every three to four days. They get physical activity. And I would love for all of my animals to be in this. We're still fighting regulations about the way they should be. But the animals that were raised in an enriched environment versus the more standard laboratory environment, they yeah. learn to drive. In fact, when we compared, the animals in the standard environment couldn't learn to drive. It was just too oh. scary. They couldn't adapt to the new things. And, and so I kind of hit around saying their enriched animals got their driving license, but driver's license, but our standard house animals didn't. So, I mean, it's it's our responsibility to enrich, to provide an environment that the brains will live in. And I haven't checked this out because it's not written in a scientific report, but I think it was in the Guinness Book of World Records. And there was some news news stories written about it, but the longest living cats, cream puff or something, 38 years. Do you know this? And then the same individual had one of the second, so a 34 year old and a 38 year old cat. And I was going, oh my gosh, what? I don't think they were related. What is this guy doing? And I'm not sure he knew the scientific basis behind it, but, um, he provided an incredible cat enriched environment. They had a little outdoor run uh, and then he had a theater and downstairs. Where he, would, <laughs> he would show them nature films. I don't know if a cat, if they even paid attention to it, but the lights and sounds, uh, the attention, yeah. he gave them varied diets. For example, a dropper of red wine, he said, to help their circulation. I don't know, varied food and varied environments wow. and a lot of contact could push the lifespan limit on some of these. So uh, that's an amazing story. Well, I think it's reported in the news. You know, I I have a cat who is a certified therapy cat, pet safety cat, Casey. He helps me in pet first aid classes. I train him to be in a harness and walk. He touches paws. He circles. He does all these things, jumps on table, answers questions, rides in a pet stroller and lets me with my dog show people how to do different things in pet first aid. And I see him at night and he's like, no, 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 no. And I 
feel like, oh my gosh, I gave him a good day. I gave him oh, a good day. Yes. And I think that's what you're saying. The different experience, and, and folks, this lady is a brainiac, well-researched, well-respected in the field of neuroscience. But I think she's helping us learn more about ourselves and our companion animals through your rat research. Oh, thanks. And, and I think that's what I love the most about the driving rats is that it's a wonderful outreach program. I probably would not be talking to you and your audience <laughs> members if you wanted to know the effects of chronic stress on, on cells on the hippocampus, which I could talk a lot about. But um, but this is a, a platform. It is. Lots of people ask about it. Then I can follow up with information about the brain and neuroplasticity and how our brains change every day of our lives and how we're accountable for what we put, not only our pets, but ourselves, you know, what are we doing with our brains so that they're changing in response to our changing lives? So rat city video, you were talking about that, you know, rats get blamed a lot. You said for like diseases and, and deaths, but they're also been showing uh, us how to be uh, deal with different changing changes in our environment, our health and, and all that. So, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about the Rat City video? What's that, what's that about? Yeah, so that was, um, they came out last summer. It's presenting the rat like a superhero uh, with all of its uh, extreme survivability. And so there are different researchers where they're looking at how they live in the city and how they burrow underneath. Amazing things like, you know, there's a lot of people, I, we, we love our rats and we try to give them great environments, but most of the people on this planet are trying to kill them as fast as they can. Right. I mean, for, there are health issues and such. So some of the research has been, you know, how do we outsmart these animals? And I mentioned before, it's very difficult to poison them because they have this bait shyness. They, they are very smart about. They're sniffing, you think, yeah. the rat poison and, then they'll take and they're a like, little, we've never had that before. A little bit of it. And then if it makes them sick. And, and other animals are around, they kind of go, oh, we're going to you know, avoid this. Wow. But also, they seem to be able to adapt to poisons, okay. the ones that live. And genetically, through generations, you can have rats oh. that have tolerance Passing to rat poison. But this can be a big problem for animals like cats or other animals that are killing these rats because those animals will not be tolerant to the poison that the rats are now tolerant of. I can't believe it. It's almost done. I, I, I want to be on the show more. <laughs> we have about 30 seconds left. What's something you want to tell everyone about rats and well, yourself? What, well, what they're teaching me now, we've been through so much uh, with the pandemic and negative and a lot of research has been on stress. So I learned from the driving rats that they looked forward and anticipated driving before we could put them in the arena. They would start rev the engine. And, and so that made me want to learn more about what is going on in the brain when we anticipate something. And I think Good. it's important to, to have that anticipation and to sculpt our brains for joy and positive emotions, as well as learning how to adapt and be resilient to the negative challenges that we face. So they've, they've, they've steered us to positive waters these are ropes <laughs> the they bottom line rats are very smart and we can learn from them they are. Uh, i just wanted to say that's it for our show today uh pause up to my very special guest uh, dr kelly lambert from the university of richmond i also want to give a shout out to our wonderful sponsors Herniture, herniture.com and Tevra, the makers of great products for uh, your dogs and cats, tevrapet.com. 
the next time you're at Tevra, at checkout, Arden23, and you're going to get a special prize from my friends at Tevra. I also want to thank all you stations airing our show coast to coast, fourleggedlife.com to catch other episodes. So until next time, this is your host, Arden Moore, saying to all you two, three, and four-leggers out there, pause up! Thanks for listening to this episode of Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. For more information about the host, to listen to past programs, and watch full-length video versions of our guest interviews, our website is fourleggedlife.com. That's fourleggedlife.com. And have a pawsome week. 